All right. So we were we were happy for uh, we were happy for Gene because we thought he'd done his homework for a second, but we're on lesson nine, not lesson eight. <laughs> so you'll have to tell Gene we were excited for a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're talking obviously uh, got kind of a two part lesson going on between this week and next week. We're talking about the enemies of grace. And this week, we're talking, obviously, about the world and the flesh. And next week, we'll be talking about another enemy of grace, the devil. But it's appropriate, I think, that we start, first of all, with the world and the flesh. There's a popular saying that you've probably heard before. Um, It's been used lots of times. And I looked it up um, earlier to try to find out... um, what, where it's, what its origin was, but there's this, uh, there's this quote that says, we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. Have you ever heard that before? Mm-hmm. So, does it, well, am I the only person that didn't know where that came from? doesn't much matter where no, it came don't. from. Uh, but there's this cartoonist named Walt Kelly, who had a, uh, a comic strip called Pogo, and... Um, this was in the, I guess, the 50s and the 60s, maybe. Um, but he was evidently a very popular cartoonist. And he uh, put that on the, that phrase on the cover of something that he was doing. And it was, uh, it was a making people aware of the pollution problem. I think he used it as an illustration for Earth Day. I guess Earth Day goes, goes back a ways, which I did not realize either. Um, but it was, uh, it was something to say, you know, if there's all this pollution going on, the problem isn't just other people. Um, the enemy is us, because we're polluting. And I thought that would be an appropriate, um, appropriate <coughs> way of kicking off uh, the enemies of grace. Because a lot of times um, we think, or I tend to think, um, in forces external to me that are making me do bad things. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of like uh, Flip Wilson where he says, the devil made me do it. you know. And uh, that's a really funny routine. But a lot of times that's what we think. you know. It's, if it wasn't for that devil, um, I wouldn't be doing any of these bad things that I'm doing. But the Bible actually teaches um, that part of the problem is us. And yes, there are, there are temptations and, and things external to us that tempt us and lead us astray. Um, but the problem is in our own hearts. Our hearts are still wicked in many ways. Even, if, even as Christians, we've, we've talked uh, already in this series, we've talked about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. We have this, this new life in Christ, and yet we have this old sin nature that is in the process of being eradicated, slowly but surely being chipped away and removed, and ultimately, when we are, are either taken up to be with Christ or we die <coughs> and go to be with the Lord, that <coughs> process is going to be completed. The sin nature is going to be completely, it can be completely destroyed, and we are going to be like Christ. That's the, that's, 
one of the goals of salvation, not just to save us from hell, but positively to make us like Jesus. And so eventually, every single one of us in here are going to be like Jesus. Even Dave. (laughs) (laughs) And Gene, too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I know you got your recordings. (laughs) But but seriously, you know, we look around, and, and you know me, and you know that I'm a long way off from being like Jesus. A long way off. But it's going to happen. And so, but we have this sin nature that needs to be eradicated. The, what the Bible often refers to as the flesh. It's just another, another way of referring to our sin nature. So we're going to talk a little bit about these two enemies. About the, 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 the world and the draw that it has for it. What, it, what, it, what worldliness is talking about. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the flesh. So uh, let's start with the sound bites like we usually do. <clears throat> And let's look at number two. It's entirely possible to live long periods of time without sinning. I heard a laugh. <laughs> what uh, What would you say to that? Not true. Not true? Okay. Elaborate. Well, it's in the things we do and the things we don't do and... Just like you said, it's it's interesting we're in this lesson today because I was thinking today, my flesh is being in, to some degree conquered, but my heart is so sick. Mm-hmm. You know, our motives mm-hmm. are constantly getting the prod. You know, why did you do that? Right. You that for that reason. And that, mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I feel my fallenness. Yeah. How can you, you know... So, yeah, I mean, it's we're, the things we do and the things we don't do, mm-hmm. the things we fail to do, and it's our heart motives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone have anything to add to that? Sue? I, I agree with that totally because, like, going to school for psychology, they, they basically, like, even just sitting in class and learn, like, listening to what they're teaching you, you're sitting by, because they teach, like, you know, it's actually healthy to be promiscuous and sex mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and it's really, even just going to school, mm-hmm. it's, it's around you, just hearing mm-hmm. the things that people are saying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's everywhere, so. Right, mm-hmm. right. I also want to chime in, give me your two cents on that. Well, there was a, there was a holiness movement that was taking place in, in the, uh, I don't know, maybe mid-1800s, <coughs> early 1900s, um, that, that, for a while, it was getting taught pretty widely that uh, Christians could reach a state of sinless perfection, um, where if you could just get to this certain plane, uh, you wouldn't sin anymore, and that was that was seen as a possibility. Uh, but Kim brings up a good point, and it's one I think that that Pastor Ken has has brought to our attention time and time again, is the fact that. We don't just have sins of, of commission, sins that we do, you know, we think hey, we don't cheat, we don't lie, we're not supposed to steal, you know, we've got those big things, um, but then there, there are all these sins of omission, things that we, that we should have done. And, and so we've got verses that tell us that in whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you're supposed to do everything to the glory of God. 
Okay. That's a tough one, right? I mean, how much of, you know, if, if you bring it down to the level of motivations like Kim did, <coughs> how much, how many of our motivations are, are the glory of God in some of the things that we do? I mean, a lot of, the, a lot of my motivations are purely selfish or prideful. Um, even in the good things that I do, you know? I mean, I... I, I do something good at church, and I think I hope somebody I hope somebody saw me do that, yeah, because they're going to be impressed. Okay, and hopefully, uh, hopefully my moment of transparency here isn't totally isn't totally unique. <laughs> uh, but seriously, you know, um, you know, living for the glory of God. Um, there are there are certain you know treasure in Christ. Uh, all of these things are, at, on a motivational level, even the good things that we do, are often often motivated by selfish or prideful or manipulative or you fill in the blank. They're filled in with those kind of motives. And as we as we have said, you know, that the closer we struggle with sin, the closer we get to God, the more I think it reveals in us our sinfulness. <coughs> and I read that quote a few weeks ago. Uh, from from Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theologians that America has produced, who, if you were here and you heard the, the paragraph that I read, just was filled with with almost a self-loathing for the the sin that was in his life. And we think, you know, if anybody has a chance to be doing good, it would be him. Or even looking at the biblical example. You know, we've been looking at Romans chapter seven. Romans seven is one of the passages that we're looking at, and you know, we tend to put, and I tend to think of Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, as this uh, super Christian person that, you know, he didn't struggle with the things that I struggle with. I mean, somehow this guy's able to endure being stoned, and he's able to get back up and go back in the city. I mean, I don't think I could do that. He, he must have had something I don't have. And yet we see, excuse me, we see Paul in Romans chapter 7 saying all these good things that I want to do, I don't do. And it's this war. It's an all-out war going on. And uh, just to bring a, a scripture verse to bear on this quote, 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The moment we start thinking, I've got my sin problems under control, is the moment we are deceived. And, and I, I'll tell you what, you know, there have been things that I have thought were not temptations to me, and then I've got a couple years down the road, and I've been tempted by that. And I've come to realize that it's just the situation wasn't right. <laughs> you know, there are things I look at and think, oh, I would never do that. But I don't trust my heart enough. It's, I'm very capable of doing a wide range <coughs> of sins. Uh, and if, if I think I am not, then I am self-deceived, as the scripture says. What about, uh, the, what about the next one? No one could withstand the temptations I face. What would you say to that? We, we, know that, we know that's wrong, so what would we say to try to help a person who says that? 
Or how do we help ourselves when we feel that? Okay. Take your time. We, we all face temptations all the time. But what do we say? What do we say to a person who says, "I can't withstand the temptations that I face"? The, the grace of God. Okay, the grace of God. The word. The word. Okay. Good. What else would you say to encourage a person? Don't let yourself get in the circumstances, okay. Okay, so part of staying away from sin is avoiding, avoiding uh, uh, circumstances where you're going to get in trouble. Okay, yeah, that's part of it. Miriam, you wanted to say something, yeah, I think. That's what I was that's, to June stole it from you. <laughs> June. <laughs> All right, what else? I think all of those things are true. Um, Romans 6, Paul, and it may sound kind of trite to say it, but basically, and to some extent, we don't have to because Christ already did. So we, if we live in the light of the fact that we will be sanctified, mm-hmm. then that can help us in the day-to-day struggle with it, which Paul, tried, which Paul explained in Romans 6, of living in the light of the fact that we died with Christ, but we were also raised with it. Okay. Yeah, so we've so we've got the hope when we're <coughs> we've got the hope that that the battle has already been won. We, we we're actually victorious. And the that being said, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we so we look forward to our future victory, right? We we look at the we look at the example of Christ. Christ is an example for us of one who withstood temptation in a way that you and I have never had to withstand. <coughs> Um, and did so successfully, and we think, oh, well, he was Jesus, it was easy for him. Uh, But I don't think that's the case. In fact, I think, okay, you, just being real with each other, you know what it's like to go back and forth in your mind about fill in the blank, and say, am I going to do this or not? And then you get a little, I'm not going to do it. Well, maybe I am. Uh, I should. I'm not going to do it. Uh, but I could. And you're just going back and forth and back and forth, okay? And then you're like, uh, whether you consciously think the thought or whatever, you go for it. Pressure is off. But Jesus, the pressure never leaves because he never gives in. And so, have, have you felt... Have you felt the narrowing focus of temptation on you as it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and you think to yourself, there's just absolutely no way I can't do this. I must do this. Jesus felt that. (laughs) And the pressure never let up because he never gave in. So we can be encouraged with the example of Christ and be encouraged that in that same passage that, that John was talking about in Romans 6 and it's, it's funny that all throughout this course, we end up talking about the same things over and over and over again. 
But that's because there are no things other than the same things. We've got to learn the same things. And we have to constantly be reminded that also in Romans, in chapter 6, 7, and 8, it talks about the power of sin being broken. Remember? The penalty of sin, eternal damnation and separation from God, the penalty is lifted. But we also have to remember that for those of us who are in Christ, the power of sin is broken. It doesn't seem that way at times. And that's why the Bible reminds us of it. Even though you think that you have no other option, you've got to do, you've got to do it. It's too strong, you can't bear it. You are compelled to do it. The Bible says, and Paul reminds us in Romans, that the power of sin is broken and you don't have to be a slave to it. And that's huge that's that's a huge hope for for people who are struggling with various kinds of addictions. Obviously, there's a physical compart, uh, component to that that has to be overcome. But whether they be addictions, and, and, and I'm using addictions broadly of various kinds because we've got people addicted to all kinds of things, um, those powers can be broken. And they generally aren't broken overnight uh, or over a week or over a month. But they can be broken. And they are broken. And as John said, they are going to be ultimately broken. I mean, some of us are, are struggling with things now that we're going to we're going to get to our dying day and think, I, I would have thought I would have been done with this by now. <laughs> well, we're going to be done with it. We have hope because of that. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse that I thought of in connection to this. Which says, No temptation has overtaken you except that except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Uh, there, there is a way out, and there is a way to, to avoid temptation. If we go and we're going to live defeated lives in our struggles against sin, if we think from the beginning that it's hopeless. If, we, if, if out of the gate you already think, I, I, I can't, then you're never going to progress. <laughs> All right, let's look at a, a case study or two. Um, I'll just read this quickly about Ian. After being saved out of a very immoral lifestyle, Ian wanted everything to be different. He carefully examined his life and decided that he was way too worldly. He now despises anything secular and listens only to Christian music, buys only from Christian companies, spends time with mostly Christian people, and reads only Christian literature. He also decided to sell his car, an expensive European import, because he believed that it was too worldly and not a car that Jesus would drive. Even though Jesus couldn't have driven a car. <laughs> Ian even accepted a demotion in a career that had been excellent up to that point so that he could have more time with his family. He believes it would be wrong to make more money, especially at the cost of family time, since he already has plenty for his family to live comfortably. Obviously, Ian sincerely wants to avoid worldliness. Would you say that he is balanced in his view of the world? Or would you say he's imbalanced? Why or why not? So as with everything, there's good and bad. <laughs> so tell me the good and tell me the, tell me the bad. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. You have to want to rid your life of um, some of the Okay. Like that. Okay, right. It's not a bad thing to do that. Not a bad thing at all. Thank you. 
one thing I noticed is that he could have continued working and donated the extra money instead of spending more time. Okay, so that's a possibility. Okay. What else? Well, I just have one little comment to make. Okay. The Christian music is kind of funny to me because a lot of Christian music is actually very... Um, Lousy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> very secular, very. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy, uh, a lot of crazy Christian music out there. All right. I think it needs to. Oh. Go ahead. You can't live like a monk, I guess you would say, in the world. That's all there is to it. Okay. We're not supposed to be of the world, but we have to live in this world. Okay. Okay, that's a good point. But I like what Chris has said, because I think if you're someone who's come from a place of being very tied to those sorts of things, fancy cars mm-hmm. and houses and what have you, it may be for that individual that is too much of a temptation. They know that that's the lifestyle they came out of. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to indulge that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Debbie? Well, um, being with Christian people, which is great, mm-hmm. it does keep us away from temptation mm-hmm. and sin, but we also need to be out there with unsaved uh, people as a witness, mm-hmm. you know, to spread the word. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? You're looking through there and you, uh, you're, Lisa, do you have something? Oh, you're just smiling. All right. But you end up getting that's the hard thing to pin down on some of these kinds of questions because we don't, you know, it's, it's just a question, it's not a real person, so we don't know the motivations that are that are, are driving this fictional, you know, case study that's set up for us. Um, but, you know, I think you guys have all raised good points. You know, there, there are certain times when, when a person becomes a Christian and they have to make a, a break with certain things. People, friends, um, because they know that they can't, they, they're not strong enough to withstand it. And so there's, there's part of wisdom in that. But we also know that the ultimate goal of being a Christian is not to live an insulated lifestyle where we gather enough people to become a self-sustaining ecosystem in our church, and then we have babies, and they grow up in their church, and then they have babies, and we're good. Um, because then we're we're creating a, 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 a almost we're almost like monks, <laughs> um, where we're thinking that the best thing to do is to to separate us from the world, uh, so that we'll be okay. But that kind of thinking 
um, brings us back to what I said originally. We've met the enemy, and he's us. And the problem is, you can pull yourself away from the world and, and run and run and run, but you're carrying the problem inside of you. And so you can't... There's a, a sense in which you can't get away from these, these wrong motivations and not doing things for the glory of God and all the rest. Because it's, it's a part of the, your sin nature that you struggle with. The problem isn't just the world. The problem is the world. Okay? There's lots of worldly channels and lots of worldly influences. But that's not the only problem. It's not, if I could just get away from those things, I'd be good. Because none of us are good. We're all part of the problem. Um, and, you know, who knows? It's not wrong to have a nice car. It's not wrong to have a good job. It's not wrong to make a lot of money. Lots of Christians that have done it. I'm not one of them. But lots of, there's lots of Christians that have done it. Um, but, you know, there ever, you just have, to, you have to, to figure out, you know, are you working at the expense of family time? And not just family time, but, you know, shepherding your family? You know, these are all questions that we have to, all questions that we have to ask of ourselves. <clears throat> so, I think there are, are good things about this thing, this uh, case study with Ian, but there's also some things that he probably is, is going to, to grow in. Uh, let's look at the scripture, so, because there's a few questions that we need to answer. Would somebody be willing to read... 1 John 2, 12 to 17 for us, for those who, who may not have it with them. Actually, I think everybody has that. Well, can you, somebody volunteer to read it anyway? I'll read it. Okay. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Thank you. All right, so <clears throat> I'll just read this paragraph. John is assuring his readers of their relationship with God through Christ. As he affirms their spiritual growth, he mentions what many refer to as the trinity of enemies to our Christian lives, the devil or the evil one, the world, and our flesh. These enemies are often referred to in the Bible but, as John points out in verse 17, we can be encouraged that we will ultimately gain victory over them. So, turning over to the next page, what do you think John means by the phrase, you have overcome the evil one, in verses 13 and 14? What do you think he means by that? Anyone have any thoughts? Because Christ lives in us. Okay. 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 Carissa, do you want to add to that? I didn't look it up or anything. I should have. Because I don't understand that uh, quote. But I was kind of thinking maybe what John said about um, future victory. Mm-hmm. Um, 
possibly, and we're not in bondage yeah. to sin anymore? Yeah. I think that's exactly what this the, the passage is talking about. The, the surety of the outcome is so certain that, that John can tell his readers that they've already overcome. He can speak of it with such certainty. Because Satan has, has been conquered. You know, that, and that's part of the gospel. Part of the promise in the very beginning of, of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, is that someone is coming who is going to crush the serpent's head. And that was done at the cross. Satan was defeated. And while he is free right now, and seemingly in control and in the driver's seat, he's been defeated, and he's ultimately going to be put away and locked in the lake of fire. And because... And this goes back to the fact that we as Christians have been united with Christ. Again, going back to what John said in Romans chapter 6. The Bible teaches that we've been united with Christ. If Christ has overcome Satan, we're united with him, we have overcome Satan. If we've been united with Christ in his death, we'll also be united with him in his resurrection. So, yes, we have overcome the evil one. What three phrases, moving on to the next question, what three phrases does he use to describe our flesh in verse 16? And what is unique about each description? So give me, give me the three descriptions. And again, when we're talking about flesh, we're talking about the sin nature, okay? It's not necessarily that our body itself is a bad thing. Remember, God created our bodies and said that they were good. And we are going to have, we were meant to have a, a bodily existence. We're going to be given glorified bodies when we're in heaven. So the problem isn't, isn't the body itself. The problem is our sin nature, which the Bible calls our flesh, our sin nature. So what three phrases describe our flesh in verse 16? Give me one. Cravings. Man's cravings. Okay. The cravings of sinful man. That's one. What's, what's the next one? Boasting. Okay. Got boasting of what he has and does. And what's the middle one? Lust. Okay, lust of the eyes. Okay, so yeah, I'm not looking for anything spectacular here, but, but tell me, give me a definition. Differentiate these three for me. Tell me, tell me the differences, what, what you see as the differences between those three. Don't be afraid. This isn't a, the perfect answer. Could cravings be the sinful desire to go our own way instead of God's? Okay. Self-will. Okay. Self-will, the desire to be autonomous, to rule ourselves. And we've got simple cravings, too. I kind of see, like, um, spiritual body and action. Like, it kind of, that's what I see, how all three parts of the person are being involved. Okay. Okay. That's actually a, a good, that's actually a good way of looking at it. Good job, Tell her, tell her what we said. Um, I said it was a spiritual, a body, and an action. Oh, okay. So there, it's like a trilogy. Of yeah, that's a, that's a good, quick way of summarizing this. So we've got the cravings. Okay, what would you? How would you define the lust of the eyes? What, what are some examples of that? Maybe give examples, not necessarily a definition. I mean, are we, are we just talking about sexual lust no. here? No. I have to have that, and I won't be happy unless I do. Okay. Okay. And we've probably all been there, haven't we? 
<laughs> we said children. <laughs> yes, our children have been there. Unfortunately, we have too. <laughs> and there's lots of there's lots of things, uh, lots of avenues into our hearts telling us that that promise will come true. That the promise, <coughs> the promise of happiness, if we get what we see. And the, the problem is that promise is so is empty, and every time you get to the end, it's not there. And then you got to go further, and you got to further, and you got to try something else. And it's all you you're, you're grasping at nothing, over and over again. All right. What about the boasting of what he has and does? What do you have that you have not received? Does that, that happen in our culture at all? How does that happen? A myriad of ways. <laughs> okay, a myriad of ways. Would you like to give me one of those myriads, Sue? <laughs> yes, like, like in high school, the kids would be like, look at my car, look how nice it is. And then they're really about it. Okay. There's a worldly. Okay. <laughs> That's a, that's a good illustration of it. <laughs> My children are well disciplined and well behaved. Yeah. <laughs> it could be even that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not even talking about heinous things. I mean, any one of us could look at our our house or anything else that we have and say, "I worked hard for that. I worked hard to build the life that I have right now. I worked really hard to have the family that I have, or to get this accolade at the job I have." Or to have achieved this position. I, I put in a lot of sweat to get here. And I deserve it. That's, that is, you know, you can do that. And you can be as far away from the, the typical worldly things as possible. And you can be worldly to the core. Because you're saying, I made it happen for myself. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to make it happen. I mean, have you ever heard people say that? you just got to make it happen for yourself. And then when you get to the top, you can boast and say, yep, I did it. And it's not just, uh, it's not just millionaire athletes that do that. <laughs> um, we do it in smaller ways, like Kim said. You know, we, we forget that the things that we have are from God. <laughs> Even if they're small things, <laughs> they were given to us. So <clears throat> these, are, these are all cravings of lusts and cravings and boastings that describe our flesh, the, the sinful tendencies of our hearts. So then the next question says, summarize what John says about the world in this passage. And let's stop for a minute, because <clears throat> he's talking about the world. Let's just make sure we understand our terms. When he's talking about the world, what does he mean by the world? Does he just mean the world in general? What does he mean? In your, in your own words. The sinful nature. Okay, this, the sinful aspects of the world. Okay, we, we, we talk about culture, our culture, and you could define culture as a set of values. So, we have all kinds of culture. We have different cultures in, in the world, and then we have subcultures, you know, you've got, we've got subcultures within in America, and there's, there's groups of people, and they've, all, they've got a, a, a value system that expresses itself 
and what they work for and what they wear and what they they listen to and what they like and what is perceived what is perceived as acceptable in a culture and what is perceived as unacceptable in a culture. Those, those, those are sets of values. Well, some of those are not wrong in various cultures. They're just different. But the world system and worldliness is the fallen values of a culture. That is the sinful values of a culture. The things that a culture prides itself in or, or, or values or whatever that are contrary to scripture. That is worldliness, you know. So, so, so worldliness isn't just the worldliness isn't just uh, things that I do that everyone knows. Well, that's worldly. Worldliness goes much deeper to our hearts, to what we love and what we value. And so, you can be, and I can be, the textbook unworldly person to everybody else because we don't do the three things that we're not supposed to do. But our churches can be filled with people that don't do that stuff and are worldly to the core because their value system is, is out of whack. So what does John say about this world that we've been describing in this passage? What does John say about it? It's passing away. It's, it's even though it doesn't seem like it, it's on its last leg. And so it encourages us not to, to value and work for and cherish that which is temporary, that which isn't going to last. And, we, and we, we can do that. We can see certain things or desire certain things, or boast about certain things, and, and we think they are giving us fulfillment when we're placing, we're just, we're tying ourselves to a millstone that is sinking and killing ourselves. And John says that the world is passing away. So the next question in Romans 7, Romans 7, 14 to 8, 17. How does Paul say that we should deal with the flesh? And because we don't have a lot of time left, you can start in 18, and I'm sorry, you can start in chapter 8, because in, starting in 714, that's where Paul describes his struggle. And if you haven't read it, maybe read it tonight. Because he, said, he says on a couple different occasions in that paragraph, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he says, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? That's the way he puts it at the end of the chapter. Okay, the great Apostle Paul. Churches have been named after this guy. <laughs> and he says, who's going to deliver me from this? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, in the last verse. And then he jumps right into chapter 8, which, which encourages us uh, in our fight against the flesh. So in chapter, so in chapter 8, starting in the very first verse... <clears throat> As Paul would say, we should deal with this, this problem, the struggle against sin that we have. What's that? Crucify it. Okay, crucify it. Yeah. Don't let it rule. Okay. Good. What else does he say? Live according to the Spirit. Okay, live according to the Spirit. Good. Good. What else? 
Okay. Kim's on a roll. <laughs> I I summarized and I summarized them this way, and, and there's there's more that you could that you could put, but I kind of just put three headings. The first important one is is verse one of chapter eight, and this is a great verse. I mean, this is a this is a verse that you got to go back to in your life over and over again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Alright, I say it a hundred times, but I keep saying it. This is why the gospel is so important for us to remember. Because the gospel is the only thing that can that enables you to look at your sin squarely in the face and fight it. Because you're not fighting it hoping somehow God is going to accept you. If I, if I can just, if I can win for long enough, or if I can just get these things under control enough, if I, if I can just try to gain the upper hand, maybe God will accept me. The first thing you've got to remember in your, in your struggle against sin is that there is zero condemnation for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. What an encouraging thing the gospel is. The gospel emboldens you to be able to, to study a lesson like this without thinking, forget it. I ain't doing it. It's, it's, there's no way. Because there's nothing I can do to make God happy. I mean, I just, the bar is too high. It's like in space high. Not even close. But there's no condemnation if I'm in Christ Jesus. God doesn't look at me and say, measure up. He looks at Christ, who's measured up for me. And then, another, th- another thing that we need to remember is that we are empowered by the Spirit. In chapter 8 and ver- in eight, verse 9, we're empowered by the Spirit. There is an, an enabling ability to those who are in Christ Jesus. It isn't just the, the, the pure strength of your will, pulling yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps, that is going to help you in your fight against the flesh. When Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us, part of the never leaving and forsaking us was giving us the Spirit of Christ. That the, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Him always with us, enabling us. Enabling us and helping us in our fight against sin. Okay, so we got to remember there's no condemnation. we got to remember that, that we're empowered by the Spirit. And we have to remember, in verse, in, in verse 12, this is just a, a quick summary, but we got to remember that we've got a responsibility to fight. Matt, could you explain to me, I know there's no condemnation mm-hmm. when we're in Christ Jesus, but that also tells us that we will be judged on every idle word. And I'm like, every time I read that, I'm like, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, I think what that is speaking to is we're not talking about, when it's talking about the Christian being judged, yes, there is going to be an accounting for the way that we've spent our lives, but that accounting does not have a bearing on our eternal security. Right. And, and, and there's a huge difference <laughs> in that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, you know... It's not like we're scot-free as Christians in the sense that for Romans even says, shall we continue in sin right. since grace abounds? Do we go for it? No. 
Wrong way to look. Wrong way to look. We are going to have to give account for the deeds done in the body. But they aren't going to, they aren't, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to our acceptance before God, those things do not affect our acceptance. And, you know, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, I don't understand how it, how it all works. I don't understand how, how it all works together. But I do, but I do know that the righteousness of Christ is sufficient for us. Well, let me read a quote to you. It's short. That's how short it is. I promise. This is from a guy named John Owen. He had a great last name. <clears throat> but he says, Do you mortify? And that means put to death. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. This guy lived a long time ago, so that's why he wrote it like this. Be always at it whilst you live. Cease, cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. And his reminder is good. Because we've got, there is the element of the flesh that's just a dogfight. And there's no other way around it. And so it means it's gonna, there's going to be battle scars, and there's going to be losses, and there's going to be casualties, but we've got to fight. And we fight knowing that the victory is already secure in Christ. All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you that we could uh, be together, and I thank you that though we struggle, uh, we struggle against sin. Um, our future is secure in you. And that you are working in us um, the character of Jesus. I pray that you would help each of us to follow Jesus and to fight the fight against sin this week, knowing that you are enabling us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.